Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you, get your feedback, and of course, uh, send us any questions, comments, anything. Uh, really psyched today to be getting back into and starting up the one player review series with good friend and colleague, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Happy to be back on the Pacer beat. I think I've hit the refresh button and I'm ready to talk about this team with fresh eyes. And the good thing about this one is I think it's kind of hard to project the Pacers future right now, but looking back at their past is fairly crystal clear. So I think we can actually talk without saying the words, I don't know like 15 times throughout this podcast. Yeah, it felt like we did that a lot last year in in the player reviews, which somehow it it does not seem like that should have been a year ago, but it's been a year, which is just wild to me. Uh, Because in in going back through and prepping for this, I was looking at when it when it was that we did it last. And I was like, oh, wow, we were doing this in like October. And that's it sounds like it should be a lot farther away. It's not actually that far away. But uh, we're starting today talking about uh, some guards, and I guess you could classify two of them as, a, as wings uh, that are a little bit lower in the rotation, uh, younger guys, and uh, you know, that's Aaron Holiday, Ed Sumner, and Cassius Stanley. Um, and Caitlin, do you want to give a brief intro to the one for people who are new to it? So basically, yeah, the title of this sounds like we're doing another Bachelor pod, but we're not. <laughs> it's just it's just bringing up that the one is for each one of these guys, we're going to have one play one number and one over under that we think kind of summarize either summarizes their season or forecasts something about their future or something that, you know, just encapsulates who they are as players moving forward. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to trade off. I don't know what Mark's picked for his two players and he doesn't know who I picked for the player that I'm covering. And we're going to do these with three players at a time moving forward every Tuesday and Friday. So, you know, set those notifications. Definitely be prepared. We have a lot of good stuff coming. Um, so yeah, let's starting off. I want to talk about Edmund Sumner first because okay, Ed starting with the good vibes. The yes, good we vibes. Have, we do have to start with the good vibes. I think that's that's the way to way to go. Um, I really enjoyed going back through and watching some stuff on Ed and, and trying to dig through and find things. Um, just a brief intro, like I I mean, I think I speak for both of us in saying that Ed was just one of the really. Uh, positive aspects and great aspects of the team this year, getting to see him really thrive and grow was awesome uh, and, and well needed as kind of a reprise for some of the things that were going on this year. Um, so I'm going to start off with, with my one play and the play for me was about the minute and 15 second mark against the Detroit Pistons. I believe it was the first game against the uh, first game that he was playing against the Pistons. Sorry. Um, he drove baseline, collapsed the defense, and had this beautiful interior pass to Goga. Goga ends up missing the layup, so it, it doesn't end up as an assist. But that was something that I found really uh, indicative of his play to me. Like I, I think if you look at his numbers and what he did this year, uh, I mean, obviously the three-point shooting stands out. He improved as a free throw uh, 
uh, he improved on his free throws. He just improved efficiency wise across the board. But the biggest thing to me is that he started showing some real flashes as a passer uh, off of his shooting and um, to see somebody who is able to not just like shooting is important, but you have to be able to do something when, when teams come out to defend you, like being able to drive in some ways, maybe does a little bit more for an offense than being able to shoot. And, Ed putting those things together, I thought was really awesome. Uh, and finding some of those, uh, like that that one little touch pass, we'd just never seen anything for, like that from him before, at least not with consistency. And that was something he really started to put together this year. And I was uh, I was a big fan of that. Yeah, I think I looked up some stuff about Sumner so that I would you know be able to bounce off of what you had. And I'm glad you took him because I like when we have different voices covering the players after I wrote his longer piece. But yeah, I think he had 36 possessions in the pick and roll this year as the ball handler and about 12 or 15 of those were with passes. So it's not a huge sample, but when you watched him in Fort Wayne, clear back when he was still playing with the Mad Ants, Steve Gansey would let him run some point at times. And he Mm. really likes to drive deep and then pass the ball back to the big to finish with like a couple steps in front of the rim. And like you're saying, I think you saw him get a couple different angles there late in the year when he started getting, you know, Nate Bjorken was letting him get the ball out of, out of pistol and letting him get it a little bit more inside pick and rolls with Sabonis in some of the later games. So yeah, just to see him add a lot of things. I mean, just his, even his shooting mechanics, like he would always kind of fly his wrist off to the right. Like you could kind of predict that when you'd watch Mad Ants games, just by watching his wrist, that if, if it went off, that he wasn't going to make the shot. And you've seen him keeping his hand more balanced under the ball, I think. Um, and to give Bjork on credit when he's in the corners, like the piece that I wrote, he's so much better at lifting into space and manufacturing angles to get the ball, whether that means that he's going to catch and drive or he's going to shoot it. That banana cut really works for him. So everybody knows I was a big fan of the Edmund Sumner experience. So big thumbs up up to the pick or the clip that you picked. And of course, like, was this from his classic Detroit game where he made all those threes or which Detroit? It it was from that Detroit game. That was a A masterpiece. Detroit (laughs) turns into Ray. I mean, not Detroit. Ed turns into Ray Allen for, for an entire game. And that was awesome. Like watching that game was like an out of body experience. I was like, Oh my God, this is Edmund Sumner. And I, I actually, I created a, a meme where it's Ed's face on Ray Allen, but um, Ray Allen is actually well, naturally. Why wouldn't you do yeah. that? Well, yeah. How could you not? Ray Allen is like Sonic's bucks. Ray Allen is like one of my favorite players of all time. So had to um, my one number for me is 55. And can you guess what that is? 55. Is that is finishing rate at the rim in the half court that is the number of games he played this year if you ah. play in which is believe it or not the exact number of games he played in the three years prior in the nba um and again it's like it's just a, it's a small thing it's a, a little bit of a reductive number in some ways but i thought that was one of the biggest aspects for him like we we we've always been really excited about ed and what he could do Every time it felt like he was starting to gain some traction or find a real chance to get on court, there was an injury that popped up for him uh, or somebody was coming back from injury and he lost a spot in the rotation. Um, to see him actually be able to, I mean, unfortunately it came because there were guys who were injured ahead of him, but even after they came back, he was able to maintain a spot because he didn't get injured. He was able to stay healthy and stay on court. And uh, I think that really stood out for me this year just the fact that we we actually got to see him put together his first healthy run since like his sophomore year at Xavier um like that that was huge uh and I think hopefully it is a sign of things to come for him because 
the, the health is obviously going to be really big for him moving forward. I'm, I'm actually really glad that you picked that as your number because when he did his exit interview, he talked about um, how important it was for him to finally get like a more consistent role in the rotation and allowing the game to come to him and how much that really built confidence in him, knowing that he didn't have to come out and try to like immediately score that if he missed a few shots, he was still going to be able to play. And that allowed him to play with, like I said, more confidence and mm-hmm. comfortability when he was out there. And for him, like, I think he had 19 games that he was in that he didn't play. And some of those were inactive because he did have that uh, knee soreness there towards the end for a few games. But I looked through a lot of the lineups and this is going to play into one, probably one of the other players we're going to (laughs) cover later, but um, he was starting like, I mean, they had so many injuries out that his role changed quite a bit too. I mean, in the initial, I think the first time that he kind of really popped was in that game against the Knicks on the road when Brogdon was out, TJ McConnell started and that opened up time for him to play some off the bench. And he had like the one great cut for a dunk out of the corner. And that one did a really good job manipulating negative space, but there for a while, you know, he's playing off the bench next to TJ McConnell and they're like, you know, this hustle and hard out there getting all those steals in the one game against the Cavs. He's playing box and one. And then, um, Lavert debuts. Sometimes he's in the starting lineup next to Karras. Sometimes he's at small forward playing with Brogdon, Lavert, Brissett, and Jakar. Sometimes he's playing next to, you know, Justin at the four and he's the small forward. Like his role changed quite a bit. His minutes changed quite a bit and just total credit to him for staying ready and not only to come out there and to contribute, but to actually improve. And I, I just think that was really big for him this year that like he didn't necessarily like have, and I'm not saying in the Pacers offense, there isn't a huge difference between playing the two and the three, but there is a difference between who you're playing with out on the court and whether you're starting or coming off the bench. And he did a pretty good job in, in both roles. And like we said, continued to get better. So I like your number. Thank you. Yeah. And I think uh, just going along with that too, like you're mentioning with the confidence uh that was i think i mean watching o'Shea take over this year was really cool seeing miles's growth as a as a driver was cool and we'll talk about that stuff more in future episodes but like i really thought watching ed just become a confident player was probably the coolest part of the season in, in covering the pacers like uh there there just used to be so many times where ed would get the ball and you'd be like ed you just gotta shoot it you're open and ed was taking sidestep threes off of guys attacking him on a closeout like uh he he, he took a fade away from the mid-range off his back foot uh I, I don't remember which game that was right now but like I remember seeing that happen I was like all right Ed like it, it was cool seeing that you could see him every time he hit a three it reminded me a lot too of like I don't know how much you watched the Grizzlies this year but like Kyle Anderson became a good shooter this year and every time Kyle Anderson hit a shot like you could tell on his face he's like I actually hit those now like that's pretty cool and you saw that a lot with Ed this year. And uh, th- that was just the, the – I found that really encapsulative of, of this season. Well, and I think it went both ways too because, I mean, in that game against Detroit, they ran a play specifically out of a sideline out-of-bound play that where TJ whipped it to the other side. They call it three where they run their three people that kind of weave around each other in the middle. And then if people commit to those cuts, the person on the outside gets a three – they called that with Ed as the outside guy to shoot, which I mean, in that game, he obviously was very hot shooting, but that just shows the confidence that they had in his improvement as well as what, you know, he was doing. And 
So I think moving forward, his next big step, which I don't know what you have for your over under is to continue to work on his off the dribble shooting his in between games so that if you do run pistol for him and and the big steps up a little bit that he has somewhere he can go with that sometimes he can get a little bit knotted up and that in between space but very few complaints with regards to Edmund Sumner yeah yeah definitely um my over under for him actually is uh is 20 and that's minutes per game next year uh and where where would you lean on that what was he at this year I don't have that he was at uh, well, I'm pulling it up right now. So overall, I believe it was 16 minutes per game. But if you take the uh, the role that he had after he finally got to be in the rotation, uh, he was at 19.6 minutes per game. I mean, it's kind of tough to say because I here I get ready to make the digging sound. <laughs> I don't know what oh, their plans no. are with like, you know, the Jeremy Lamb situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously TJ McConnell's a free agent. I don't know how that impacts how they see Aaron, but my heart wants to hit the over mark. I, I want to say that he'll get 20 or more minutes per game just because I think that he earned that. Um, now, We'll see because I don't uh, – here I go again. I also don't know how they plan on – you know, Brogdon and Lavert didn't have that many reps playing together, especially once Lavert was doing more with the ball in his hands. So mm. I don't know if they'll stagger the two of them a little bit more and how that might shorten how they use some of the guards. But, you know, Edmund can swing to the, to the three too. So, again, depending upon what happens with Doug, I, I think the opportunity is going to be there for him. And if if – the Pacers stick to what they've been the last several years. Injuries will probably open up, open up <laughs> yeah. time for him. So I think that I, I think I'll take the over. Yeah, I uh, I'm encouraged to take the over as well. Um, I, I agree. We really have no idea what the hell is going to happen this off season. Um, but I think Ed's one of the guys who I look at. I'd be surprised if he isn't here next year. Um, just given how this year went for him. He's a relatively young player on the roster. And most importantly, he's the most athletic player on the roster. Um, and he needs that. Like I was talking to some of my friends yesterday about draft prospects and, um, you know, like talking about, you know, who, who the Pacers might end up taking if they have, if they end up using their draft pick. But a point being, I was, I came to the conclusion and thinking, I was like, I think the Pacers are like bottom five team in the NBA in terms of athleticism on court which in it in and of itself is not everything, but like, it's, it's pretty apparent and telling at times, like even, even with how they play this year, they really aren't uh, built to be a, a super functional athletic team. Um, and, and, you know, if you don't have Ed there, that's a, it's really interesting to think about, but he provided a ton of that this year. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I I'm, I'm going to smash the over on that one and hope that maybe he does turn into Ray Allen next year. Who knows? Um so, all right, uh, unless you have anything else you want to add on Ed, I think we are good to move on to the, your player. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready to move on. I will say that when we were divvying up these players, like my, I honestly wanted you to take Edmund and the other player that you have because I had already written pieces on them. And like I said before, I think it's good to get another voice and another perspective. But then my player, which is Cassius Stanley, turned out to be a lot more challenging than I had originally thought because – and I don't mean this to sound derogatory, but I will ask you this. Can you remember other than like a dunk or the dunk contest? <laughs> like, do you have a vivid memory of Cassius Stanley this season? 
I'm not going to lie to you. I'm uh, I'm kind of glad that you ended up with Cassius because I did not have anything outside of garbage time that I could really take for Cassius. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's it's somewhat, he's just very unassuming. And some of that's because, you know, he's not getting consistent minutes. Some of it is garbage time. But when he's out there with so many different lineups, mainly when he was with the Pacers, he's getting used to run like the initial leg of the weave, which means he's not going to be uh, anchoring it with like the high pick and roll to manipulate or um, when they run like the little ghost screen for TJ McConnell, he'd be one of the players on the other side, like holding space mm-hmm. or, I mean, it, it was very um, periphery roles that he was using. And those were like kind of the only two main plays that they were running when he was out there. So it was very easy. Like there were a few games where I was like, Oh, Cassius is in. Like, and he had already been in for a couple of minutes and like, I just didn't notice that he was out there. So to make my long intro even longer, I will say that I spent almost most of yesterday rewatching all of his minutes. And then I had watched like a handful of the G league games and tried to watch more of the G league games, which I think is a little bit more informative about where he's going. So that's where the play that I picked of him comes from. They, um, Sorry, my browser is messed up. (laughs) Okay, Um, here we are. Here we are. So they are playing the Clippers G League affiliate. And just for context, I believe that he hurt his foot in like the second game of the G League bubble, missed a game or two, and then was on a minutes restriction for three. But this game's further beyond that when he was back playing regular minutes. So the Mad Ants are running two-man game on the right side of the floor with Brima. And Cassius is holding space on the left side in the corner. Brian Bowen cuts on a 45 cut, which lets Cassius lift up into open space at the wing. So he catches the ball there. And I would say roughly that he probably has six feet of space to shoot. He does not shoot. He holds the ball and reverses it to Naz at the top of the key. And then Naz takes a dribble forward, gives it back to Cassius with Brima setting up a pick up there at the slot for him. He dribbles off the pick and has probably three or four speed feet of space to hit a pull up two, and then uh, bails out of that shot too, and reverses it back to Naz. So when you watch the Mad Ants games, that's kind of the Cassius Stanley experience. Not that he's passive all the time, but he'll have these moments where it's like, those are two, like those need to be his shots. And he's not always, this sounds like a very talk radio take. He doesn't always play with a lot of force or attack when he's coming off of like, they'll run the double stagger play that the Pacers run. That's for him to shoot. And sometimes he keeps his eyes up and really hunts those shots. And other times it's what we're seeing here. So my choice on the one play was between this. And then there was a moment, I believe it was against the Blazers where they were going to bring Cassius off a stagger so he was going to actively be involved in the action and they top locked him. He read that cut back door, caught the ball on the opposite block and actually like got into his guy carved open space and made a shot. So that's kind of the two sides of him. I think right now, like he did not shoot the ball well in the bubble. He was at 26% from deep on roughly five attempts per game. Um, 41% overall. So his two point percentage actually buoyed that quite a bit. Um, So he's just kind of a tough one to figure. Like sometimes I just, when I watch, I get left feeling that I want him to be more aggressive to um, look for his spots in the offense. Yeah. Um, 
I think you bring up a lot of great points. And I think the first question I would ask you too, is how did you feel about um, the way that he was used in Fort Wayne or, or the way that they tried to get him going in the bubble? Um, because- so, yeah, oh, that's, I should have crossed that with what I said of the Pacers. When he was with the Mad Ants, he ran some point. Like versus what I just said about running the weave, he'd be running the final leg of the weave too and be actually manipulating the high ball screen. They'd let him. I mean, it was kind of a little bit more like how when Malcolm Brogdon is playing, he did some of the stuff that like not like Karras, but in that similar mold that they let him dissect a couple double drags here and there. If they ran a stagger, there was times where it was for him to ISO with the ball away from that. Like I, and I think that's a good thing because he needs to develop his handle. You can tell at times when people Mm -hmm. attack him on a closeout and he has to put the ball down with his left, that he's not super comfortable with it. So, I mean, I think this is the benefit of the G league. You get to work on a skill that you may not have, or that you need to develop. And that's why I don't necessarily take G league numbers to be super informative. Cause you would expect a dip if a guy's working on things that he still needs to develop. And that was evident, like his role with the Maddians was very different than when he would just come out there with the Pacers and kind of just try to fit in. They, they featured him a little bit more. Like I said, they let him run some point in addition to being kind of like this off screens guy. But um, I have a broader point about that later, but I'm interested to hear your thought. Yeah, I, um, it's, it's hard with him because like you mentioned, the problem is that he's just not a dribble pass shoot guy right now. And especially with the way that, the, the Pacers tried to play their offense. It's really difficult to have somebody out there who cannot do all three. Um, like, I mean, like it sounds reductive, but like with Justin was, uh, I think saying the the lowest you can be with it. Like Justin's not a great passer, but he can make simple reads and his handles good enough or I should at least say functional enough to get where he wants to go. Cassius is not there with his dribble. Like you just mentioned, like his dribble is, is a really, really underdeveloped where he's at. Um, and, and where he needs to be. And I think like that, that was just what was really a struggle for him. Like you could only really use him in lob plays. And if he was going to do a catch and shoot, and even then, like he can't really shoot off movement right now. Um, and teams don't really respect him a whole ton as a shooter because they're not worried about him driving off of it. Um, so it's not like just trying to completely bash him, but that's just where he is as a player right now. So I agree. It's uh it didn't really feel like there, there wasn't really a lot going on with him uh, when he was on court. So it was easy to kind of forget that he was, he was a prospect for them sometimes. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, a lot of it's like him running from corner to corner when he's with the Pacers, he's going to go stand in the corner. <laughs> and then on defensively, they, you can tell that there's an effort that they don't want him to have to be defending through picks. Mm-hmm. Like he will defend up a position off whoever the weaker shooter is and that was the same in the G League because it's very easy for him to get screened into oblivion. I mean, it's kind of funny because, I mean, nobody was good defensively in that game against the Kings where Goga flew off the handle. Yeah. But you can see a possession in that one where he got beat off the dribble twice, once by Buddy Heald, and then was about to get beat off the dribble for the third time on the same possession and ended up fouling somebody. So um, I'd be a little bit nervous if he's out at the top guarding guards because I think he still has a ways to go with that too but what you bring up about the lob plays is very interesting because in general the Pacers don't really have a lot of those but um and one clip I almost used for this exactly for what the reason you said um the Pacers run like a fake false UCLA action and then swing the ball to the opposite side to get a post up for Sabonis 
And I'm pretty sure that's a play that the Raptors used to run too. Only it was like for a lob for Siakam. And I feel like the, the Mad Ants or the Pacers could implement that with Cassius Stanley pretty easily. Like, it seems very odd to be saying that a play for a post-up should be run for a six-foot whatever guard, but I think that would give you better advantage to actually unlock the vertical spacing that he can provide and just how quick he is up off of his feet so that he could be he could be operating off ball, but in a way that kind of better suits his skill set. You're not going to run that all the time, but... Um, that's just one. So my one number is 340. Oh boy. 340. 340 is the number of days that Cassius Stanley went from the game that Duke played against UNC in 2020 until the first G League game in the bubble. So I think that's a pretty important piece of context of just how hard it was to be a rookie like him on a two-way contract this year where there wasn't going to be opportunity for playing time. I mean, he did not play a full competitive game for almost an entire calendar year. Like, I realize he played some in the preseason, but um, just just to have the opportunity to shake off cobwebs, he didn't have a summer league. The draft process was funky, you know, and then it's an abbreviated G League bubble where he dealt with an injury. So there just wasn't a lot of opportunity for him to do much development wise at all this year. Like you can see that there's potential there with his athleticism, but he definitely needs to add skills to it. And I think that'll be big for him now that summer leagues back on for this year. But I did think it was important to say like, this is a person who basically didn't get to play competitive basketball. Yeah, no, I think that's such a great point because I, uh, I really was lost for how to evaluate some of the rookie class. And I actually thought, I mean, this was a really good rookie class. You know, it played out on court that way. Part of that's the amount of injuries that there were health and safety protocol um, having an impact on, on rosters too. But with Cassius, I think for somebody who was raw and wasn't going to, was really going to need G league time. I think this season hurt him more than, than it, it did for a lot of other rookies because he was someone who I think like, if you have the full G league season, instead of the shortened bubble season, that would have been huge for him. Um, and it's important to take all that with a grain of salt. And it, it also brings a lot of questions up for me, too, on what does, uh, you know, how does the team view him moving forward? Like, we know KP had, had mentioned that they viewed him as a first-round talent, which, you know, I mean, you're going to say that and gas up your player. But I, I am interested, just given the current flexibility or, or inflexibility of the roster in some regards, like, I, I don't know necessarily um, – how they view his future with the team. But I, I mean, I, I would still like to see him get an opportunity uh, because I do think he has a lot of interesting skills. And like you mentioned with the lot play, like there are ways that you could integrate him to the offense, even if he isn't a fully uh, like great player yet. Like there are, there are things there. He's a really good baseline cutter. Um, but yes, I, I think that was a, a, an awesome number to bring up. So then the over under I have is 5.5. And that's the number of guards ahead of him in the rotation. Oh. Ooh. Um, wow. So are we talking guards or, or, or wings? Like I'm talking guards because, I mean, they let him run some point in the bubble. So clearly they think that he should be doing more on ball because, I mean, they, they, they communicate and set down. I mean, I heard Chad Buchanan do an interview with um, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants podcast where he said that they communicate goals with – with the players that are going to be up there. So that leads me to believe that they see him as more of a guard, but I could be wrong. I no, Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think you're wrong, but I, I mean, I'll just ask you blatantly before we even get to there. Do you think his handle can be good enough to even be a guard? Like I, 
I mean, he was bringing the ball up the floor. I would say that what he does is he's not making plays for other people so much. I mean, I think he finished with more turnovers than assists in the bubble, but it would be like a, it's kind of like the semantics that we talk about with Brogdon Levert. It would be mm-hmm. like, you know, he's Malcolm Brogdon and he brings the ball up the floor and then Karras comes off of the picks and then Karras receives a ball screen off on the wing to attack. Like it was like Cassius Stanley's bringing the ball. Up. Like I said, he, they let him run some double drags and other stuff that just led me to believe that they think he's going to do or that they at least want to see if they can develop that part of yeah. his game. Okay. But, well, yeah. Um, that many, I mean, I think, so you got, Malcolm, obviously. Are we counting Karras as a guard? I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he plays guard. Uh, Ed, for sure. Um, I need to pull up the roster right now. Jeremy, I, I TJ, yeah. and Aaron. So we got six Oof. at a minimum. And then, I mean, if you're thinking of him more as a three, then you could throw Doug in there too. But I mean, I think I'm going to take the over. I, I don't yeah. – I mean, even if – Jeremy were to be quote unquote salary dumped or somebody gets moved. Like I, I still think there's going to be five, probably yeah. six guys ahead of him. Yeah. I mean, I think that he'll spend the majority of his time with the mad ants. Like if he doesn't, if he doesn't have at least 30 games up in Fort Wayne, I would be surprised. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. New Brian bone who dis. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. <laughs> star. Uh, yeah, no, that's wow. I have, I have no idea what to what to think on that because no, it's, it's interesting because the way that everything worked out with Brian Bowen too, like, I, I mean, he, I, I thought he was really good in the bubble. Um, and it's, he never, like, I wouldn't say he didn't get an opportunity with the Pacers every time that he did get an opportunity. He just, you know, it never was quite there and materialized at the NBA level, but um, I just don't know what the Avenue is for Cassius, but we'll see with that. I mean, hopefully, uh, you can really take the most of an opportunity. Um, all right. So un- unless you have anything else that you want to add on him, I'm, I'm ready to move on to our, our final player of this pod. The most complicated player on this pod. Definitely the most complicated player. Um, and that's Aaron Holiday. Uh, we have a lot, <laughs> a lot to talk about with Aaron. Um, for my one play, I couldn't boil it down to one play. Um, I just had more of a, a general play that would happen a lot. Um, and that's Aaron gets the ball, runs a pick and roll, does not go through any of his reads and attacks the rim and throws up either a really bad floater uh, or gets his shot blocked. And that, that sounds really reductive and unfair, but that was just kind of the story with him this year. Uh, I remember uh, Steve Jones, who's fantastic. I'm Steve Jones Jr. I should say his dad, Steve Jones. But Steve, Steve Jones Jr., I've had him on the pod, and he runs a great pot over with Nikias Duncan at the dunker spot. And he's talked about it too. I've talked to him about like Aaron went from somebody who in the bubble, it really looked like he was figuring out how to play as a facilitator more, how to make some of his reads and go through his progressions and find guys that are open and, and not just uh, force things offensively. And I, I want to be careful in saying that. Cause it's not like I think he was being selfish or anything. It's just, he got very Supreme tunnel vision this year. Um, I'm not really sure why that happened, uh, but that was, what always stood out the most to me with him. Like it just, it always felt like a very push or pull with him. Like either he was trying to make plays and not looking for a shot or he was looking for a shot and, and not seeing the the opportunity to make plays for guys. Right. I mean, I I've referred to it before. I think a lot of times he l- looked this season, like a boat paddling against the current 
like what what was the easier thing to do he kind of went against the grain of that i think that you can cross compare it somewhat to what i said about edmund sumner like you watch those two players exit interviews and hearing sumner say how important it was for him to know that he was going to get minutes and that he didn't need to score right away i think sometimes it looked like aaron came in and felt like I have something to prove. And instead of proving that by playing in the flow of the game, it's like I one moment that vividly sticks out in my mind is when they were playing Utah and that matinee game on the road. Mm-hmm. And he came out in the third quarter and just like went kamikaze driving at Gobert and shot a shot off the side of the backboard that rapidly turned into a three for either. I don't remember if it was George or, 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 Joe Ingles I don't remember which one of the two of them it was but he did that a couple times in that quarter and as you say that's kind of the enduring memory of what he did I mean in the bubble he was playing in three guard lineups with Brogdon and Victor and playing in more of that spot up role but he did he did he seemed more under control while also keeping his eyes up but I mean his interview was something like, I don't know if you watched or saw that, but I mean, I think he mentioned the phrase, it was an experience Yeah. with regards to this season, three or four times there was an, it is what it is. And then he mentioned just how hard it was not knowing if you're going to play or not. And I don't want to discount how much his role was jerked around this year. I mean, the first four games, he starts out of the year coming off the bench and then it's a back-to-back that Victor doesn't play in. So he starts in place of Victor. Then he comes off the bench again. Then TJ Warren gets hurt and he's starting at the three and like guarding wings, like bridges who are way bigger than him in games. And like that starting lineup didn't perform well. So then they start playing um, Justin holiday in the starting lineup and Aaron comes off the bench. And then I think TJ McConnell got hurt. So for a couple of games, he played backup point guard um, against the Kings and then the Warriors game that you've mentioned before. And um then TJ McConnell comes back and shortly thereafter, Jeremy Lamb returns to the lineup. And then they're kind of playing that awful foursome, like no offense, but the foursome of Aaron and TJ McConnell and Doug and Jeremy Lamb needed to be shot to into the sun. Like that four man grouping, just, it didn't matter which center was out there. Like that just was not getting it done. There was not enough defense. The, the combinations that they had to use was not good. So then you go post when Jeremy Lamb comes back and he gets to kind of settle back into some of that spot up role. He had the good game. I remember pretty vividly where they were in Orlando and he made like, I remember, I think you sent me an email or like tweeted something at me about how Aaron Hall, I think he made like six threes in that game. Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason, after that happens, he goes through like a really long slump from like the middle to the end of April. And he's shooting like, 31% and then back to Cassius Stanley. Remember the game, the other game in in Orlando where Cassius Stanley kind of got used as a passive aggressive weapon where (laughs) like Nate Bjorkren played him in like the second quarter and Aaron still hadn't even played in the game. And then Aaron played in garbage time for like two and a half minutes in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that and then was obviously weird. Aaron has the injury towards the back end of the season that once again changes what he does. But, um, I shouldn't go on and on just, just to point out that his role did change a lot, but then like what I said before, so did Edmund Sumner's. And at a certain point you have to come to your own rescue. And it never felt like Aaron was able to consistently do that. It felt like he would have one or two good games. And then the other three, he was back to kind of like what you said, like the kamikaze drives were back again. 
but yeah i mean like just to hit on that one more time like you're completely right he goes the entire first you know month of the season he's playing uh slightly over 20 minutes per game and and struggled because his is again his role is getting jerked around it's just a different team different philosophy and, and and whatnot but then you have he gets towards you know the beginning of march and he's playing less than 10 minutes per game and then he just dmps a couple straight games barely plays in the game against dallas uh goes like another 10 or 15 games playing like similar role but then he goes two straight games, the Detroit and Orlando game where he barely plays outside garbage time. Uh, and then he gets back into it. Like play, he, he plays like 25 minutes plus for the next week. And it's just like, what, what are we doing here? It's uh, again, it's really difficult with, with where he was at. And they tried to play him like a Swiss army knife wing, except he really was just a pocket knife that had like maybe one extra tool on it. So it was just like, he was very overtaxed, but also, I mean, he wasn't capable of doing a lot of the stuff they asked him to because of how I played this year, frankly. But um, also, like you mentioned, like it's 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 easy. Like he, he got pulled a lot for some of the defensive issues he had because he did not have a great defensive year for the most part. I thought he had an uptick towards the end of the year, but he had a lot of stretches where he did not look great defensively. But again, part of that's like, OK, well we're asking him to guard Mikhail Bridges and Mikhail Bridges could, even if Aaron gets a full vertical, like Mikhail Bridges release point is over him. Like it just, it's, it's, it's asking a lot. And it's, it comes down to a lot more about roster construction. I felt than anything else, but um, yeah. It was, can I, can I tack yeah. on one thing right there? For sure. And we, can we recall back to when they were playing, I think it was the first game in Atlanta and the delightful foursome of TJ, Aaron, Doug and Jeremy was playing. And I don't remember, it was either Sabonis or Goga. I want to say it was Sabonis. But um, Aaron for like six possessions was guarding Gallo at the four. Like what on earth? There's just things that you look back on it this season and it's like, why? Why? And and I don't know. I mean, the Hawks didn't even really look to attack that that much. Like there was a couple times where Gallo started to post him and was just like, oh, well, I don't really want to attack this mismatch. But I mean, again, just his release point alone. And not that Jeremy Lamb was a stopper at the four. I think we've covered that in ad nauseum. (laughs) But I I just, I don't know why things like that. Like you had Keelan. I mean, that was pre-O'Shea, but you had Keelan. You had Jakar, like, I know that they wanted to lean offense somewhat, but that foursome wasn't really getting it done in several areas, but especially defensively. But um, one little trivia matter. Do you want to take a guess at what Aaron's free throw rate out of the pick and roll was this year? Oh, God. Uh, Like 0.04? I believe it was – I think he took – three free throws on his 100 pick and roll possessions. Wow. So I was actually almost dead on. That's kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, yeah. Wow. It, it, it was fairly rough. And and I looked back up because I don't know if you remember, but I tracked all of his layups with his yes, left. Yes, I do remember. Right. And that math did not shift. So by the end of the year, I looked up this morning and finished tabulating that. He was 46% in the restricted area with his left, which is not – that's not a good mark, but with his right, he was at 34%. And I think some of that stems from what I said, like he doesn't have a lot of finishing moves to actually get in and he's not drawing contact. So 
he spends a lot of his time on the right slot because that's where he shoots the ball better. So when they're spaced out, that's generally where he is. And then if he drives middle with his left, I think some of it is because he can use his body to shield. And then he kind of takes those longer floaters or longer hook shots with his left and is, is actually more efficient at that. And again, 46% is not a good percentage, but it looks pretty rosy compared to 34% with your strong hand. Yeah. I mean, that, that leads into my, my number was, was 45 and that's his adjusted field goal percentage at the rim, which was in the, among guards who played 500 plus minutes that year, this year was in the second percentile. And that was just, I mean, that was, he's never been a great rim finisher, which I mean, that happens when you're not an amazing vertical athlete and you're six feet tall. But like, I mean, that was, it was at a stage this year where it was almost uh, uh, saying untenable is maybe unfair, but it was, uh, it was just really, really rough for him at the rim. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one thing that did hold pretty steady was he still shot, I think 39% on catch and shoot threes. And I mean, just the pick and roll in general, I think that um, unless when he's working with, you know, noted pick and roll, roll man, extraordinary Brima, like, do you remember at the end of the Thunder game? Like, they, he was actually, like, to Aaron's credit, he's pretty decent at throwing lob passes because he likes those floaters and can kind of go from a flake, fake floater to a lob. He just doesn't have a lot of people to throw those to. But his placement of pocket passes in the roll, he's either ahead of the guy or behind the guy fairly often. So I don't know if that also contributes where he gets kind of stuck in not knowing what decision he wants to make, and then that kind of – harm some of his finishing but I just keep going back to like yes like his role was jerked around yes the defensive assignments a lot of times didn't make a lot of sense but at the same time like he in the bubble was at playing in a three guard lineup and then when TJ went down he was playing in a three guard lineup again and it just didn't like it just didn't materialize the same way that it did in Orlando I mean, even like that game against the Warriors, I think he had 12 assists. Not a lot of those were out of the pick and roll. I looked back at those and I think only like three or four of them were, but um, TJ McConnell did not play in that game. So I'm sure it could like get pointed at, well, he finally got to run backup point with steadier minutes. But the night before TJ McConnell was also out in Sacramento and he was one of six with one assist. It's like, it just, it never felt like I said that he could, he could consistently, um, string together multiple uh, like multiple good games doing that even though he didn't consistently get the opportunity to do that either but I would ask you this is something I've been considering because you don't know with TJ McConnell and Doug McDermott like which one of them will be retained if either of them will be like let's pretend that TJ McConnell leaves and goes to another team and Aaron is your backup point guard how confident would you be in a lineup if it's like you know, at that point, let's pretend that they did retain Doug. Obviously, you've paid him. You're going to play Doug. So you have Doug, Justin, O'Shea, and Goga. Like, let's just pretend that's a lineup. Would you feel confident that Aaron could could run the floor with those four people uh, based on what you saw this year? It's uh, – so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge that with my own uh, – with, with a couple of things, but I will answer. Um, the biggest thing for that with me is this year – I remember I, I don't remember if it was you and I who talked about it. I think we did. I know I talked about it with Rep Bauer on a pod too. And I just I, I think I wrote about it as well. Like this year, I thought if they had really treated it more as a developmental year, and again, I'm not trying to begrudge how they did handle this year 
I think we've done that enough already in some regards, uh, and fairly so. But I think you look at this year, and as well as TJ McConnell played, like TJ was fantastic this year. Aaron did get his his opportunities and moments. But I think this is one of those things where you look at if they were a team that was focused more on development instead of uh, grinding their way into to making the play in, maybe you just say, okay, Aaron Holiday is the backup point guard no matter what this year. You know, what if what if they do that? Um, it probably doesn't look great, but maybe there is some kind of progression towards finding consistency in the way that he's he's reading defenses and attacking defenses and, and maybe his confidence is better. I, I, I don't know. You know, that's it's easy for me to say that sitting at my desk, you know, a month after the season's ended for the Pacers month, geez, two weeks. What am I talking about? Um, but point being, like, I think that was something I thought about a lot this year. And again, granted, Aaron just did not play well. And TJ McConnell was a flat out better player than him this year. Um, but that's something that, that, that really came up in my head for me, you know, like maybe things are different. If, if you just say, okay, you have the keys to the car, the, the, the through to the trade deadline or something like that. I, I don't think you could say trade deadline because that's the, the connotation with that is not great, obviously, but um, regardless, like, I think there's just something different to knowing you can keep making mistakes and learning instead of uh, knowing that your role might change because of it. Uh, again, I'm not trying to create excuses, but that's something that I, I had in my head. Uh, if he is the backup point guard next year and this team is trying to win games, I do not think that that is, uh, that is great. Um, like, I, I just don't think that we saw anything this year that, that indicated that he could handle a full on backup point guard role. And again, like, Maybe if if we're like if next year is quote unquote a developmental year or something and they're trying to get the most out of their their young guys and see what what happens then okay I feel differently but knowing that this team is probably you know not 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 just probably almost definitely looking ahead to to being better next year to making the playoffs again and to being a real competitive team I don't I mean I don't I don't think that that Aaron Holiday can be your backup point guard yeah and I question too. I mean, I tend to lean towards that they will probably give Karis reps with the bench yeah. to be doing that. But my thing on the TJ front is I think some of this is like easier said than done because what, mm-hmm. what, how does the locker room react if, you know, TJ has the season that he has and he just gets told, well, Aaron really hasn't done anything to earn this, but he's going to start playing point. Like, yeah. I think it's a little bit different than in the season with uh, when Victor went down and I've brought this up many times that I didn't really understand why they didn't tell um, toward the back end of that year. Like we need to start starting miles and Sabonis together. Thad's still going to get the same amount of minutes and he still might be closing games, but we need to see those two against starters and knowing what type of a player Thad is versus TJ's, you know, going to be a free agent and how, how does it look to other prospective free agents? If, you know, the Pacers and this coach are like, well, you know, basically you're going to sit the rest of the year while Aaron plays. I mean, it was easier to do that with Edmund because of what we said, like he, he earned getting to do that. There was tangible things that you could point to and be like, there's reasons between what he does in transition and how, you know, pushing the pace became pretty critical to outlasting how bad their defense and the rebounding was and just his defense in general that they needed to have him out on the court despite of injuries. I don't know that Aaron really had that type of stretch, but I mean, I think another thing that I would point to is the lineup that worked the year before 
with TJ and Aaron and Doug and Justin and Sabonis basically didn't play this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, there wasn't opportunities to really get that group on the floor. I mean, I know that I think the biggest amount of time that they played together was early in the year when they were like full court pressing in that game against the Bulls and they went on that long run. I don't think that the lineup actually ended up as a net positive this year in the way that it did the prior, but um, they never really got an opportunity to settle into some of the groupings that seemed like they worked better because Justin needed to be a starter because TJ wasn't there. So a lot of this, I mean, it's possible that, you know, TJ walks and you have Aaron and maybe if he does get more consistent reps, but I just feel like I've seen quite a bit between this and summer league where the, the reads and the pick and roll just aren't coming supernaturally for him. And some of the ways that they set the pick and roll now in the Bjorkman system versus the Nate McMillan system, when the parts are moving and it's not the standstill where you can hit some of those targets in the corner more easily might have contributed to it. I'd have to look into more of his passes, but um, yeah, I mean, his exit interview, as he would like to say, was definitely an experience. Yeah, it is what it, it, it was, what it was, or it is what it is. And that, that was, uh, that was hard to see this year. Cause as much as we talked about Ed and his confidence really growing, um, I don't want to pinpoint and say that, that, Aaron's like not a confident person. Cause I, I would disagree with that. I, I don't, I, as much as we talked about Aaron's foul rate, I think Aaron thinks that he, he should be getting a foul call on like 45% of his buckets <laughs> yeah. instead of four. Um, but it was really tough to see him in, in, in interviews because you could tell he was, he was pretty down this year. Yeah. Um, like he, like the, I almost used for the play. Um, I can't remember which game it was right now, but he went out for like 30 seconds and had a really, uh, really rough stretch on offense and gave up something on defense and he got pulled ASAP and he came back and was like, it was the most uh, like upset I think I'd ever seen him on court. Um, And he, I I don't think he played the rest of the game actually. I don't remember who that was against. It might've been uh, crap. It might've been in that Orlando game actually. I can't remember right now off the top of my head, but yeah, it was a, it was a rough year for him, but my, uh, I mean, that kind of feeds into the, the over under my over under for him is 10 and that's roster spot next year. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it's just so tough to know. Cause we don't know what, what TJ McConnell's future is, but I mean, you start counting people off and whether, I mean, it's going to be tough to even find space if they don't do some sort of a consolidation move. Like, are you just going to, bench jeremy lamb like you know what i'm saying yeah. like because i tend to think that o'Shea if he can maintain his shooting playing him at the four i think helps you with justin quite a bit off the bench and maintaining justin's legs and his shooting over the back end so he isn't doing some of that stuff and then you know if you still have two centers and you're going to work in goga there's eight if you if you retain either tj or dog and you've paid them to stay plus just the way that each of them contributes, that's going to be nine right there. So, and that's not even factoring in, like I said, Edmund or Jeremy or, um, yeah. So I might actually, it seemed like in the post game presser, I don't know what your interpretation it was, but it seemed like Kevin Pritchard still had a favorable opinion of Aaron. Yeah. Like, I mean, he mentioned what we brought up that it was probably hard for him with his role changing because of injuries and other things. So I don't know. I I tend, 
I mean, who do you think that they would side with here? Like, let's pretend that they had the money and that neither of them get offered outrageous uh, sums. Would would you retain TJ McConnell or Doug? Um, I mean, personally, I would probably retain Doug. Um, just be, man, well, I could say that now, but like, no, it would probably be easier to to find a replacement for Doug who does eighty five or ninety percent of what he does. It, like finding somebody, finding a backup point guard who is not going to get you killed in their minutes out there on either end is tough. Um, I don't know. I mean, I. So we're saying if they get if they're going to get paid the same amount. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying like uh. if 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 like just think all things are equal which is ridiculous because they won't be but you have the choice you can retain either one of them and not pay the luxury tax but you can only retain one which one would you retain uh that is really tough i kind of i mean the, the problem is you could you could they were both so important to what to, what the team did this year even though they were a 34 and 38 team like the team is markedly worse without either of those guys like doug was the one consistent movement shooter on the team. Uh, Cause I mean, Justin had his ups and downs um, and what he brought with his two man game with Sabonis bonus was huge, obviously, but then there's like absolutely no stabilization on, on non Brogdon minutes without TJ. Uh, I mean, I think, I think I would lean TJ. Yeah. I don't know. I think I would need more information as in, is Nate Bjorkren still the coach? Oh yeah, that's a good is, point. Is, are you making a choice with the centers? Because I think both of those would lean into it and how confident you feel about Aaron. If you're keeping TJ, then I'm going to take the over and think that Aaron's not going to be the 10th man in the rotation because you've paid TJ McConnell. And I just think that there's more reason to play Edmund Sumner at backup two than there is Aaron at this point. And they did, while like the shooting was a worry with TJ McConnell and Edmund, they found workarounds around that beyond the fact that Edmund's just shooting the ball better now. Like they had some creative workarounds with how they manipulated that negative space. So um, I would take the over. But if you're going to keep Doug and TJ leaves, then I could see my way towards Aaron getting minutes again. So that decision would impact which way I lean here. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. I, uh, I agree. I don't really have a concrete answer on that one. Uh, copping out on my own question, I guess, but um, unless you have anything else to add on Aaron, I think that just about wraps it up for him. No, I think we're good. And now we, we, we buried the lead that we have a new segment that we, we are do today. We are decided to keep food takes special to the monthly two hop pods. So for the one, we are going to be asking, would you rather questions that at least in my question that I came up for today have nothing to do with basketball. So I need to know, first of all, are you nervous about this? I am a little bit nervous because just the, for the people listening, I have no idea what I'm going to be asked coming into this. And that is, uh, that is grounds for being nervous for sure. <laughs> I, I think you should be nervous because this is going to reveal a lot about you. Oh, wow. But you pick here. I mean, it's going to change people's opinions of you for forever. Just, just prepare. Ooh, and because worried. we are who we are, this is a food adjacent question. So here we go. Prepare yourself. Like we need crashing, like um, who wants to be a millionaire music right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. So Mark, would you rather for the rest of your life, you have to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life. It can be anything you want, but it has to be the exact same thing. Or 
would you choose to eat whatever you wanted for dinner for the rest of your life, but you can only watch one scripted television show. And let me specify that you can still watch the news and sports, but you only get one TV show. And on the flip side, if you choose that you only want to eat the same thing for dinner for the rest of your life, you can have variety for breakfast and lunch. Oh, wow. Choose carefully. Oh my God. That is, this is like nightmare fuel. Um, I mean, wow. I, do, I mean, you're basically like, making a choice between your nutritional well-being <laughs> and how much you love TV. It's television variety or food variety. Well, okay. Can I watch whatever movies I want to? No, no. What? No. Oh, I can't. No. I, I don't, oh, man. Okay, then I think because I'm personally a movies over TV person. If I could only watch like one movie for the rest of my life, that would be awful. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, dinner, but that, that's actually pretty easy for me. If I could only watch like one TV show or one movie, right? For the you rest must of my watch life, the same TV show on a yeah, loop. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'll just I'll eat the same dinner forever and have optionality in what I watch because I need movies and stuff to decompress. Like, I can't. I could I could eat a peanut butter sandwich like every meal. I mean not every meal, but every every dinner for the rest of my life. Like whatever, you know, it's not the it's not the worst. Every date from here on out could just be like a lunch date, unless you want to eat a peanut butter sandwich with me to whoever I'm with. You know, that's that's a that's a whole other decision. But yeah, well, I no, mean they I could... can eat whatever they want. You just have to sit there and eat the peanut butter wow. sandwich. Okay, well, so I'm just like bringing a peanut butter sandwich out to my restaurant. I'm, I'm right, at, right. Let's say I'm at St. Elmo's and I ask for a peanut butter sandwich instead of a steak. Amazing. Oh, you don't get to ask for one. You have to bring it in a lunch. <laughs> That's awful. Get out the peanut butter sandwich. Uh, yeah, I think, I, yeah, that one, that one's easy for me though. I think, uh, yeah, I, I need the optionality of movies. Okay. So then, shows. then say exactly what meal you're going to eat for the rest of time. Oh man. Pick your dinner. And this is not easy because this there's going to be certain easy. times where you might be sick or other things might be going on in your life and you still have to eat this, whatever you pick. Wow. This is hard. Um, I mean, I think I'm going to say, okay, I might cop out. I'm going to say Chipotle. I'm going to go with Chipotle because does it have to be the exact same bowl every time? Yes, now? yes. Oh, it has my to be the God. exact same meal to a T. Man. Um, wow. Wow. Or maybe, maybe be okay. Actually, never mind. I'm going to change it. I would do every meal at dinner is going to be salmon, grilled salmon with asparagus and cilantro lime rice because that is really good. Absolutely elite and top notch. And I just, as we talked about, I mean, that gets me two of my top five foods right there in a meal forever and salmon and, and asparagus. So, um, I think, and I get the best carb of all time in rice. So I do think, well, I'm, I'm going to get tired of it at points. There just isn't anything quite like fresh cooked Alaskan salmon with asparagus that's been lightly crisped, um, and well steamed rice. So I, I think, yeah, that would be, that would be my, that would be my go-to. Or I, mean, I guess it's not even just a go-to. It's a, a must-to. So. It's a must-to. But, 
I mean, full disclosure, I had salmon for dinner last night. It was delightful, but um, I'm concerned for your well-being that you're going to dose yourself with mercury every night for the rest of your life. I mean, I do think it shows growth. You could have easily picked a Granny Smith apple and a peanut butter sandwich, and that could have been what you had. Well, that's breakfast, so, you know. (laughs) I mean, when I pondered this, I really thought to myself that easily – I would pick to eat the same thing every night because there's been times in my life where I've had to eliminate foods and it's like really hard in the beginning for like food sensitivity reasons to eliminate them and watch other people eat them. But then after a time you just become numb and it just is what it is. And food just becomes like sustenance to you. Mm -hmm. So I think I could do it. I would just have to pick like the most bland thing in the world. Like I would need to pick like grilled chicken and a baked sweet potato and like a banana because I would still be getting like nutrients. But I just think if you pick something very like flavorful, you would get sick of it if you had to eat it every day. Like I would just need something basic. And then that way, if I did get sick, I could probably still eat that and survive it. Plus I would get to, you'd get to jazz stuff up. You could have brunch, you can have lunch. Like if you need more variety, you can do it with a snack or other stuff throughout the day. I need to have TV. So consider this, like I thought about it on the flip side, what show, if you had to pick only one show to watch for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Oh my God. And this Um, was hard because at first I was like, I would probably pick like Jeopardy or Chopped um, because there's just infinite episodes and it continues on. But then I was like, no, because eventually I would remember who won the rounds of Chopped and it would get very predictable and I would get tired of it. So I think you need to pick a TV series with a lot of episodes and that can be a lot of things at once. So I did drill down on the perfect series, but I want to hear what you would pick. What would I pick? Um, Well, I'm going to rattle off a couple things that I wouldn't pick. Um, Chopped is yeah, definitely a no. Like I like Chopped, I enjoy it, but like some of the episodes just kind of suck. Um, to be completely honest, like Chopped is very hit or miss for me. There are some judges who I just really don't enjoy. Well, Chopped does um, have a fatal a fatal flaw. I'm sure yeah. that you know what it is. The fatal flaw of Chopped is that they make the dessert round cumulative when the entree round is not. Like if you advance to the entree round, they don't go back and look at the appetizer and be like, well you know, your pork chop was good in this entree round, but you really sucked in the appetizer. So we're going to go ahead and chop you. Like it it should be brand new. If you win the dessert round, then you're the winner because you already advanced there. But sometimes like a person will run away with the dessert round and they'll get eliminated anyways. And then I do get on bad terms with chopped, but that's what, yeah, I can't pick it for various reasons. Yeah. I, yeah, no, it would not be up there for me. What man, this is really tough. I have no idea what I would pick to be completely honest right now. Um, there, okay, can I hear yours? Because yes, this, this yes. might help me juggle. I mean, memory. everybody, most people know that I love Gilmore Girls, so my initial oh, Gilmore was, Girls is good. Okay, I watched that with my was, sister growing up. It was very yeah, my good. initial thought was Gilmore Girls because I've already rewatched that series like a lot of times, and I still like sometimes at night if I just need to relax and try to find something, I'll turn it on on Netflix and still watch it, and I'm not sick of it yet. But then I remembered like too much of a good thing. Hmm. And it doesn't have a ton of variety. So I started thinking to myself, what show can have it all? And there is one program that I absolutely love that has um, suspense, drama, family comedy, romance, even borders on horror for a few episodes. It is a perfect television series. And the correct answer to this question, if you must only watch one television show for the rest of your life, is Psych. I've never seen Psych before. Mark. 
Who's fix inside? That. Who, like, who's who's the main character? James Roday and Dulé Hill. Like the comedy is freaking hilarious. Like some of those jokes, I still laugh at just thinking about them right now. Like you gotta watch Psych. I don't know if it's still streaming, but I think it is on the Peacock because they keep making Psych movies. You need to get on that. Okay, well I will have to check that out. I've definitely never seen it before. Um, for what it's a perfect I, television show. I thought it was Monk for a hot second. I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I could watch Tony Shalhoub every day, but now I, uh, yeah, I so I understand now. Um, Man, this is this is really tough. I mean, ultimately, though, even with how much I love Psych, I thought to myself, like, I'm somebody who needs completion. So, mm-hmm. like, if I was watching Psych every night of my life and everyone else was, like, talking about some other new series and it was something I had already started watching, like, for instance, I really liked the first two seasons of Dead to Me. If I didn't get to know how Dead to Me finished in the third season. Dead to Me is really good. That would be crushing to me. Like, I need to know how shows finish. I can't just yeah. have them hanging out there forever, so. Okay, well, I have I have thoughts. Number one, uh, Rory Gilmore was one of my first crushes ever. Um so there's that. Shout out Jess. Shout out Team <laughs> Jess. Uh, but then TV shows. I really dig Community, but I don't think that I could watch Community all day every day because that's kind of my mindless thing that I put in the background when I'm writing something. Sometimes, um, I think The Office is kind of overrated, even though I really enjoy it. Like I love The Office. I'm not trying to sound super hipster, but I watched it before it got like kind of really big and blown up by social media. Um, And I just don't think it's as good as some people make it out to be. Uh, Jim and Pam had a really not great relationship. And so it always makes me cringe when somebody says, oh, I'll be the Jim to my Pam. Like, "Eh, you know, what what about a good relationship? Um, But uh, what, what else? Okay, Friday Night Lights would be up there. I don't know if you ever watched Friday Night Lights, but Friday Night Lights was uh, very informative and uh, important for me growing up. That was like my first big TV series. Um, And I've watched it back through probably three or four times. Although I will say- I don't think there's enough episodes. There probably aren't. I think there's only four seasons, four or five, but they're not long seasons. So, and it does kind of tail off after the original episode. Like once it splits into like East and West Odessa, I don't really like it as much. Um, it, man, this is so hard. I also am not really a friends person. Like friends is fine, but I think it's again, kind of like eh, overrated. Like it'll be exciting to watch it happen. I think it might be game of Thrones for me. I really love game of Thrones. I've watched game of Thrones through three times and loved everything about it. You get kind of a lot of everything. There are a ton of episodes. There's a lot of content. The storytelling is great. I know that the the last season wasn't what everybody wanted, but I also think as with pretty much anything, the last season is never going to be what you wanted because you don't really want the show to end. Um, I do think so they then, could have handled it better. So then but. this is a good question. If you could only watch one sports season, then that would be kind of like picking the 2013-14 Pacers. Like you'd be watching like this amazing team jump out to whatever it was, like 16-3 and three, and just be dominating every defensive – like every – defensive possession and then you would get slowly more and more depressed like the rest of your life would be watching like a sad time loop if that's what you pick so i feel like game of thrones would be the equivalent of picking to watch the 2013-14 pacers for the rest of your life if you couldn't watch any other sports well okay have you seen game of thrones no oh because i was gonna say what was uh what's like the uh no i just heard i just i've just been uh exposed to tons of people complaining about it yeah i i have not seen it 
I think uh, the verticality rule starting to be uh, enforced is like very. Uh, I'm trying to think what that would be in Game of Thrones. Wow. Now, uh, now I'm just that's that's sad as hell. Wow. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think for uh, off rip, I'd say Game of Thrones, but you're making me question it now. Uh, but I have no idea what what I would even pivot to. The last thing I would mention, Cowboy Bebop, is one of my favorite shows ever. Um, so that would be up there as well. And it's just like a it doesn't the story doesn't necessarily carry over from each episode, so it's a little bit of something different. There's like 30 episodes, so be worth it but i don't know caitlin that is a really tough question in so many regards i'm proud of myself i I think i gave us a lot to think about i am too that was really good but i think another aspect of this is that we noted food take experts that we are both readily agreed that we would eat the exact same thing for the rest of our lives and i think that says a lot about us (laughs) yeah i think uh yeah I, i think we will get some responses to that most definitely um but i mean it's your job you have to come up with one of these or i i mean you can ask twitter they they can they can help you if you need to but i can definitely come up with with one of these i'm i'm excited for that for tuesday um i will definitely have something good uh caitlin is there anything exciting you have coming up uh this weekend or or in general before we we meet again on tuesday that you want people to know about no no, nothing that no, I mean, my life still is not very exciting. I still am not doing a whole a whole lot other than just watching playoff games and preparing for these podcasts. Like, my prep for this podcast was very involved. I needed to actually know things about Cassius Stanley instead of just, like, not always noticing that he's played. So I had to go back and look through a lot of that. But I believe that next on our list of players is – Karis, Brogdon, and TJ McConnell. So that's what people can look forward to because I'll probably spend the weekend looking into those three guys. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm very much so looking forward to that. I am in a, I'm in a bind with trying to write something. I'm at the stage where I thought um, I've been trying to, I've said, for, I've said for like four straight days that it's going to be out tomorrow. Um, and I think I'm at the stage again where it's going to be out tomorrow uh, every time that I sit down to write it, I end up writing like another eight or 900 words. And then I'm like, well, I need another. And it just, it keeps expanding and growing. And it's, uh, it's a little unruly and I'm worried about what the final word count's going to be. I don't normally come into it. I'm not normally, I never come in with like a, oh, this has to be so many words, but, um, it is a scouting report. And as much as I'm enjoying the scouting, writing the actual report is, a nightmare in some regards because I just want everything to be like correct and, 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 and do, do the player justice, but uh, expect that before Monday. Definitely. I'm, I'm hoping to have it out tomorrow, but, but we'll see. I mean, I that. just admire your will to write them. I just, I don't, I draft content just in for me. I don't, I don't enjoy it. I respect it. I like, see, there's something special to me about like, it's less about the writing. Like I like doing the writing process, I really enjoy writing, but I mostly like doing the actual scouting. Like I enjoy, like I can just go on synergy and, and watch like, um, like if I'm, if I have like a semi, semi free morning, I can be like, all right, well, there are like four guys I really want to watch this morning. I'll like load up four four guys on synergy. And like, that's exciting. I want to know how that. you got video clips on synergy. They blocked me from that. I, I can't get video clips for NBA or anything on there. That I'm, is uh, something that I will have to tell you about off the podcast, but. <laughs> to everyone listening thank you so much for listening this was a, this was a great time um i'm looking forward to doing this again on tuesday and most importantly just have a good rest of your day